0: You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org, or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. I wasn't really reassuring. Is that, a, is that a yes or a no? And he called me like two hours later and said, you might want to just prepare just in case. And then he texted the rest of the elders about something else on uh, Friday and said, Justin's most likely preaching. But again... Still not a yes or no, and so I rolled in this morning, sermon prepped, and saw his car wasn't here, and thought, "Well, game time. I guess I'm up." Um, so here we go. Uh, it kind of feels like a, you know, like being like, a, I don't know, like a like a sub, like a practice squad player that gets elevated when someone gets injured, or like, you know, the guy that gets called up. Like I'm a big Braves fan, and so uh, that's right, World Series champion, Atlanta Braves. Uh, nope. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. They're still the world champions. You can't help that. Um, so I'm a, big, I'm a big Braves fan, but in the World Series this year, Charlie Morton pitched game one, uh, about second or third inning. He's just dealing, and he throws one. Guy grounds it out right back to him, hits him in his, uh, his left shin. He scoops it up, throws the guy out at first, keeps pitching the inning, comes out, pitches the next inning, and with one batter left, calls for the trainer. They take him out. Turns out, he uh, took that foul ball off of his shin, and, uh, and uh, broke his ankle, and so proceeded to pitch two and two-thirds innings on a broken ankle, and it was on his plant, so the one he lands on with all of that weight, like, I'm just amazed by that. Uh, so think of me as the guy that's uh, been called up to replace him, uh, because the guy that got called up to replace Charlie Morton pitched in game four, uh, and he was a rookie who nobody ever heard of, who got called up from the minors, and uh, I think he gave up three runs in the first inning, and that was it for him. So I say that to say keep your expectations low today. Um, keep your expectations low. And, uh, and if we need to make a call to the bullpen, there's some elders in the room. They'll probably just finish the sermon, right? Jim, you good? You ready? <laughs> if I tap my arm, you're up. <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to continue in our series in the Lord's Prayer uh, today. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, where the Lord's Prayer is, and I'm going to pick up, and I'm going to read from verse 7, but we're going to camp out in verse 13 today. So it says this, it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're going to pick up, and we're going to camp out. Now, I often joke that when Mike asks me to preach that he gives me all of the really fun, complicated, and hard texts. That is not so today. What is complicated here is my brain moves a mile a minute, and so I'm not the kind of person who's like, yeah, let's take one verse and spend 40 minutes talking about that, I'm like, let's take seven verses. I can do that. That's better. Like, give me a whole passage here. And so when I was like, well, what do you do with such a simple sentence as, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil? Like, that makes makes pretty easy sense to me. Like, one, do not lead us into temptation. Don't be dumb. Got it. Okay. Two, deliver us from evil. Again, don't be dumb. Got it. It's pretty simple. Like, you can all go home now. That's it for today. We're done. Right? It's a pretty simple text. Don't lead us into temptation. Okay, I can get that. I I do that all the time myself. Deliver us from evil. Okay, yeah, I get it. But here's what's interesting about this text. This particular sentence seems so simple. But in it, there are four core truths for us to grasp and understand and hold fast to that if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know these truths. You know them. The problem is That you probably don't really act like you believe them. I know that because I'm guilty of the same thing. You know these truths to be truthful. You know these things to be part of the gospel. You know these four statements we're going to walk through as being God honoring truth. The problem is that we don't always live like we believe these things. And they're simple. They're super simple. And so we're going to dive deep into that this morning. So perhaps you've forgotten some of these simple truths. Perhaps you've you've been a Christian so long that now you spend so much time wanting to discuss the deep and complicated things of scripture. Whether you're Calvin Calvinist or Arminian, whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, pre-mil, amil, or whatever the heck you believe about the end times, whether you believe that Jesus is going to fly down on a magical pony, whether you believe that people can sprinkle, or you have to be dunked, or you can baptize as a baby, or you have to be a full-grown adult. Like, there's plenty of things you could argue about. And we should have opinions about these things. But they're not the heart of the gospel, and they're not the simple truth of the gospel. And in the end, when you cross into eternity... Will it matter if you were sprinkled or dunked? I would argue no, it doesn't. I would argue that what matters is do you have a life saving faith in Christ that has rescued you from darkness and placed you into a kingdom of glorious light? Your method of baptism, for all I care, you could have been in prison and somebody could have spit on a towel and slapped you in the forehead. Counts for me. Right? Like we can argue about those closed, those open handed doctrines all day, and we surely should have a stance. But I think so many times we get focused on what we believe about the end times or what translation of the Bible we believe is the most accurate that we forget simple truths that matter to our everyday life that make us more like Jesus. And so we're going to dive into that this morning. So the first one, if you're a note taker, is this. The first part of this petition says, lead us, lead us, lead us. That seems simple enough. That seems really, really simple. And I would say that if I asked any of you, most of you would say, yeah, you know what? I do believe. Yeah, yeah, I I do believe that God leads me. But do you truly live like God leads you? Do you fully and functionally place your faith and knowledge into a sovereign God? Or do we most of the time operate like I have some kind of skin in the game here, like I can change the effects of history, like somehow my actions can throw off the space-time continuum and change the course of history? Because I'd argue most of us function that way. right? Like I said I'm a Braves fan. I'm also a big college football fan. And believe me, believe me that uh, there are many, many, many times that one should not believe in superstitions. But in the words of Michael Scott, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little-stitious. Um, <laughs> no, like, yeah, I'm like, no, 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 no. Every time I wear this shirt, they win. I have to wear the shirt. I'm sitting there thinking like, well, for the game against Clemson, we had cheese dip. For the SEC championship game, we didn't have cheese dip. Georgia lost. Now we're in the national championship game against the Evil Empire... Nick Saban in the Crimson Tide, we got to make cheese dip so they can win. And they won <laughs> cheese dip forever. Right? Like, does that really matter? Heck no. Do you think God really cares whether or not I made queso before the national championship game? Shoot, I would argue, my wife would probably argue more than this, that God doesn't actually care who wins that game. Because <laughs> does it really matter in the grand scheme of history? No, but I'll hold fast to it for a long time, right? Like, I've been waiting 34 years for a national title, and I finally have one. Hallelujah. You know, like, that's where I'm at. But my, my actions don't change the course of history there. My actions don't change the course of history. So often we forget that we serve a sovereign God, but we teach our kids that. How many of you grew up in Sunday school and sang? He's got the whole world in his hands. Come on, you know the song. y'all. Yeah, if you went to Sunday school, you've sang that song in your life. Maybe unless you grew up Catholic. And I don't, I don't, that doesn't seem so, seems a little too less ritualistic for that. I don't know, I didn't grow up Catholic. I was born of the Southern Baptists. We came out of the womb singing Jesus Got the Whole World in His Hands. And baking casseroles. <clears throat> no, we serve a sovereign God. We serve a sovereign God and Scripture teaches us that. If you don't believe me... Here's the simple truth of it. Matthew chapter 10 verse 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Colossians 1:16 through 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 7 through 9, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord, who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down. Righteousness, let the earth open. Let salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them to both sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or, Your work has no handles. Proverbs 1633, the lot is cast into the lap, but it is every decision is from the Lord. Lamentations three, thirty-seven through thirty-nine, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come. Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? We serve a God who's sovereign, who's in control, who everything is in his hands and nothing escapes him. And I think for some of us, we struggle with that idea because we want power. We like to be our own gods. But here's what's crazy this should be reassuring and hopeful to us that we can't screw it up. And this should make us hopeful that we can't mess things up because our God is sovereign. It's not like one day he was like, oh, uh-oh, no, dang it, buddy, I told you that and now you did this. Wow, Come on. That was not what I had in mind. No, we serve a God who says, oh, you messed up there, pal. Don't worry, I have a grander scheme in mind. Oh, yep, you slipped and fell there. It's okay, I've got a bigger picture for you. Right? Romans tells us that in Romans chapter 8, that he works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Right? Like, notice he doesn't say you're good. He just says good. Why? Because my good for myself is often not good. Right? Like, if I had things my way, I'd be a millionaire. Right? I'd have some money be rolling in it. I wouldn't have a jeep that's got rust spots and has a light currently blinking and making a noise and I don't know how to fix it. So if you're a mechanic, you can come see me afterwards. (laughs) Like if I had it my way, I'd be cruising. No vehicle problems whatsoever. Right? If I had it my way, I'd be filthy rich. I live in a really big house. I wouldn't have an inflatable hot tub. I'd have a massive hot tub. (laughs) Made of hard plastic. So the neighbors don't look out the window and think, and that guy's trashy. <laughs> right now, they're like, there is a fat guy sitting in an inflatable kiddie pool in his backyard, <laughs> drinking Coca Cola. What is his problem? Is this what he does every day? Yes. Yes, it is. So here's the, the truth about it we serve a God who's sovereign, who leads and directs us. So if you are his child, he's guiding your paths, he's shaping your future and your destiny. Right? One of the most famously quoted verses is probably Jeremiah 29 11. I know the plans for you says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. We all love that verse, right? Because it sounds really good to us. But do we also not know that when David has an affair with Bathsheba, he has a child, the child dies, Nathan confronts him, and he confesses his sin and declares that God is in charge of his life because God uses both good and bad which brings us to the next point here there's a major difference in what Jesus prays here in the Lord's prayer when he says lead us not into temptation lead us not into temptation He's leading you through temptation, but never into temptation. Right? James chapter 1 tells us that Jesus, that, that God Himself tempts no man. He can't be tempted, and He tempts no one. So He leads you through your temptation, not into it. Because temptation is always there. Temptation is always all around you. You may not always see it. You may not be able to confront it, but temptation is always there. Matter of fact, we see it in the very First book of the scripture, we see it in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, we see the story of Cain and Abel. And in it, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, it says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you but you must rule over it. Right? He's saying sin is ever-present. This is Cain before Cain stumbles and falls and kills his own brother. Right? This is Cain presenting his offering and realizing what he's done is wrong. That God says to him, sin is always there. Right? He, he's prophesying to Cain. He's saying, buddy, you about to make a big mistake. And Cain does it anyway. Right? Like For us, sin is always there. Temptation is always behind us. See, we have a a, a skewed perspective of this in America. We really do. We often say, well, I was just really tempted. Like, I might say, man, last night uh, I was getting ready to go to bed and I opened the the cabinet and I was really tempted to eat that little Debbie. That's not a temptation. There's no consequence to that. Right? Like, I'm already fat. If I eat the little Debbie, I will just be fat still. Right? Like, it's not going to make me magically way fatter and I'm not going to get skinny. Like, it has really no effect. I mean, if you eat enough of them, it will. Like, as the saying goes, you eat enough little Debbie's, you be a big Debbie, okay? Right? Like, <laughs> I'm just saying. Right? That's not a temptation. That's not really a temptation. Or if you say, oh, I was walking through the mall and I was really tempted to buy these shoes. That's not a temptation. Is your life really that different if you buy or don't buy the shoes? Like we're talking about, like, unless you're buying really spiffy Jordans or something. We're talking $75, $80, $100 for shoes nowadays. Is that really going to be that big of a difference in your life? That's not a temptation. That's not a temptation. No, a temptation is when you're all alone and your spouse is out of town or you're on a a business trip and you're sitting alone in a restaurant and the waitress sees your wedding ring and slides you her phone number anyway. That's temptation. Temptation is sitting alone in your hotel room or your bedroom and you pull your phone out in the dark and you begin to look On things online that you never have any business putting your eyes to. That's temptation. Temptation has consequences when you give in to it. The little Debbie doesn't have consequences. But the rest of it has consequences. Temptation has consequences. It does. And so you're led through temptation, never to it, right? David, when he's writing the 23rd Psalm, he doesn't say, though you walked me to the valley of the shadow of death. He says, though I walk through it, right? He sees a light at the end of the tunnel. He knows what's coming next. He knows that this is but a season. Temptation is always there. And as God says to Cain, it is crouching, waiting to devour you. And the, the reason they use that verbiage there is uh, you'll see this theme throughout Scripture um, of lions, right? We'll see this. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. We'll see this a little bit later. That there's, there's this uh, a pattern, this analogy that often is used in Scripture of lions. Well, for us, that's weird because we don't have lions. Unless you really believe that there's some painters in the woods, man. You seen those people talk about seeing panthers on their trail cam in Murphy? There's some old folks are like, I saw a black one. First off, uh, mountain lions don't come in black. That's just science. If you ever study biology, they don't exist. Side point, right? Like we don't have lions. Never once have I walked out my dorm and like, ooh, a lion. Nah, I live in Andrews. You step out of my house, you're like, ooh, a possum. (laughs) Ooh, a squirrel. Ooh, a stray dog. Ooh, a meth head. I mean, like you guys. You get a list of gamuts, but lions is not one of them, right? Like, I've never, just, I've never just stepped outside and seen a lion. That's one of the things that makes me terrified to ever go visit our missionaries in Kenya. Travis and the Sawyers, if you're ever watching this, I love you, but man, they got baboons and elephants and lions showing up on their property all the time. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. They, they killed a black mamba that was like six feet long. mm Homie, don't play that. No, 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 no. Right, but there's this there's this analogy used throughout Scripture. Satan is referred to as a roaring lion, or right, As a roaring lion. And so this analogy of sin crouching is giving us this picture of a lion waiting to attack. How many of y'all ever watch those like uh, National Geographic shows where it's like this calm, serene prairie with the tall grass, and you don't see anything, and then you see like little little baby wildebeests like like walking, and then all of a sudden, bam! Out of nowhere comes this big old lion and just wrecks it, and you're like, ah, poor guy. Eh. Terrifying, right? Like lions are freaky. They're freaky because they're huge. Like you ever you ever been to the zoo and been close enough to one? There used to be a zoo here in Murphy, if you didn't know. Um, yes, it was as sketchy as it sounds. Uh, <laughs> it oh, it was terrifying. This guy he had a zoo over here, uh, right across from the flea market, which again. Gives you an indication of how sketchy it is when it's at the flea market. Uh, and you're around the corner and they've got lions in a cage and it's like a concrete slab, like half as big as this stage. And there's a chain link fence, a patch of grass, and a second chain link fence. So you're like three feet from the lion and there's a big sign that says, uh, Lions in mating season, please don't make loud noises. So, of course, us being dumb college students, we're like, <laughs> And that thing's like, and you can feel the, the heat from its breath. And I about peed my pants. And then there's all the, all the cages are like that, so I just kept thinking, I'm going to round a corner, and there's just going to be one of these things looking at me. And true story, if we were around a lion, and it's like you and I, and we're standing there, and the lion is getting ready to charge, and I can see it coming, the first thing I'm going to do is trip you. Because I do not have to outrun it, I just have to outrun you. Uh, survival of the fittest, okay? And I'm not very fit, so i got to cheat. <laughs> <clears throat> right, lions are terrifying, terrifying. But they're even scarier when you don't see them coming, right? Because a lot of times in our life, there are temptations that I can see coming, right? Like I, I know my flesh, I know my weaknesses, I know my penchant for being kind of an angry person. So those temptations are out there. It's the ones that you can't see that are a little more terrifying, right? Uh, this is maybe like a, a grandparent fail moment, but my grandfather, I love him, big history buff, big nature guy. Uh, He's had a couple of these moments since Nellie and I have been married, like when he gave our kids uh, arrows uh, or tomahawks. He made them tomahawks one time. <laughs> My boys are f- five and seven, and they already punch each other in the face. Tomahawks in their hands, death weapons, okay? Doesn't matter how blunt they are, they're going to club each other to death. But when I was a little kid, I remember him letting me watch this movie with him. How many of y'all have ever seen the movie uh, Ghost and the Darkness? You ever seen that one? Ah, fantastic movie. Great movie. It's got Val Kilmer and uh, uh, M- Michael Douglas. And it's based on a true story. So uh, Ghost in the Darkness is based on a true story. And it's this movie uh, about when they're building the, the African railroad uh, from, I think, Uganda to Kenya. I think is what it was. And so they're building this bridge over a river. And when they get to this section of river in a town called Savo, Africa... These workers start being killed by lions like over and over. like Every day, somebody else is killed. And they're like, okay, this is not normal behavior for lions. And it's, They see these two male lions that keep attacking and killing people. And so they, they get this guy from Great Britain who is a world-renowned colonel, engineer, and a hunter. And he comes to help them finish this building project. And his main task is to kill these two lions. So this whole movie is based on a true story. But there's a scene that, as a kid, haunted me. But now it's like I love it. Uh, Because I see it every time I read this passage of scripture. There's this scene where there's a guy standing, they've they've guarded the outside of the camp with these big high bushes, like these thorn bushes, and they've left just a couple openings, and they've put armed guards at each of the openings. The guy's standing there, and he's got his little bolt-action rifle, because it's the late 1800s, early 1900s, so poor him, he didn't have an assault rifle, he just got a little bolt-action, so he's... Which, that's just instant death, you know. He's standing there, and then it cuts to the perspective of the lion, and it's, it's nighttime, and you see it kind of like lurking through the bushes, and you see his eyes, and all of a sudden, boom, this lion juts out full speed, absolutely obliterates this guy, and the second lion goes through the opening into the camp, and everybody freaks out, like everything, it just breaks loose. And I think of that when I, when I see this, because so often in my life, there are temptations and struggles that are always ever present, right? That guy couldn't see the temptation. He couldn't see the lion in the wilderness there. He's just looking out into the dark until it creeps up and he has no defense in that moment. He has no defense and it just, whoom, and he's done. And for us, so many times in our life, we've not set up the right amount of safeguards and we're trying to guard our own lives with a little bolt-action rifle when there are creatures coming to attack us. Our sin is coming at us and we're not not equipped enough to handle it. But here's, here's the truth of it. We're never equipped enough to handle it on our own. I'll never be able to defend myself against my own sin. I, I know how often I fail. I know how often I slip up. I know what my character is made of. And I can't defend myself. But here's the thing. This is where the linchpin of this whole sentence comes in. And this is the third truth that you need to know today. It's that God delivers us. He delivers us. He rescues us. Right, that's the next petition where he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Because you and I can't deliver ourselves. I don't have a defense for that. I don't have a way to put up enough fight to save myself. I need rescuing. Right? That's what we sang about this morning. God is our rescuer. He is our defense. He is fighting for us. I need deliverance. I need rescue because I can't do it on my own. And that's where I think a lot of us really struggle. Maybe maybe you don't struggle so much with knowing that God leads you. Maybe you don't struggle with knowing that your sin is there, but you struggle with the fact that you think you can handle it on your own. You think you can defend yourself. And as long as we're on the same track of talking about lions there's a famous quote uh, by St. Augustine where he said, the truth is like a lion, you don't have to defend it. Let it loose and it will defend itself. That's great, right? That's a, that's a good quote. That's good for us to know as Christians, that the truth is like a lion, we don't have to defend it. But Charles Spurgeon took that quote and he spun it a little bit and he, he took it a step further. And this is what I, I really love this. He said this in an 1886 sermon, Christ and his coworkers. He said, suppose a number of persons were to take it to their heads that they had to defend a lion. Full-grown king of beasts. There he is in his cage, and here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I would suggest to you that if they would not object and feel that it was humbling to them, that they should kindly stand back and open the door and let the lion out. I believe that would be the best way of defending him, for he would take care of himself. And the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. That's where we have to stand today, is knowing that we serve a God who is sovereign. We are saved by a God who is in control. And we don't have to defend ourselves anymore. We just have to let the lion out of the cage. We just have to let Christ fight for us. Because I, in my weakness, I can't. I'm like a soldier trying to, to defend a lion. He doesn't need defending. Right? Have you ever seen a lion? Freaky. They're huge. They got like retractable claws which is not normal. They got huge teeth. Like It doesn't need defending. I'm the one who needs defending. So all I have to do is let the gospel out so it does its work. All I have to do is say, I know I'm a hypocrite. I know I'm a failure. I know I've fallen short. But God is good to save bad people who place their faith in him. That's good news, right? That's why the last word is the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. That word gospel in the Greek simply means good news. And that's the good news this morning is that you and I, despite our failures and our shortcomings, we have a God who saves us and defends us and fights for us. And all we have to do is let him lead us. Simple submission is all we have to do. I know there's probably some people in the room who are um, Lord of the Rings fans. That's fine. Y'all can be that. I, on the other hand, I'm a Narnia guy, right? I'm a simple human. Lord of the Rings, really big book, lots of words, lots of characters. All of them are kind of like Jesus, but in some ways not. You got to connect all the dots. Not Narnia. No, no, no. It's pretty simple. Like Jesus, Aslan, Aslan, Jesus, boom, done, right? Pretty simple. Like it's, I like that. I'm a simple guy. I like good analogies. I love the scene in Narnia um, where the white witch comes into the camp and she comes to Aslan and she's asking for Edmund. So if you know the story, Edmund has messed up, right? He sits in the witch's throne, he eats the uh, Turkish delight and he spills all the secrets. Which, first off, who's spilling secrets for Turkish delight? You ever eat that stuff? It's like The inside of a jelly bean, but flavored like rose water. I was not a fan. Our kids liked it. We made it one time. We watched Narnia and I made Turkish Delight. That was a labor of love because that stuff was gross and took hours. But Edmund sins, right? He sins. The white witch comes after him. And I love this scene because I know C.S. Lewis purposely wrote this in there for, for a moment like this. Right where the white witch says, Edmund has broken the law. It says in the law that he must be killed. And Aslan growls at her and says, don't recite the deep magic to me, witch. And every time I'm like, yeah, show her. Right, because it's this moment where Satan likes to do this in our life and our flesh likes to do this, where it accuses us and it pulls up our sin and it says, you're guilty. And Jesus says, Don't recite that to me. I wrote the law. I was there in the beginning. I stood at the foundations of the earth. I was with God the Father. I know what the law says. I know they're guilty. But guess what? I'm in charge. That's fantastic. That's good for us. If we're followers of Christ, to know I'm not in charge, but we serve a God who despite our shortcomings and our failures, defends us over and over and over again. And no amount of sin you do can separate you from the love of Christ. Because once you're his, you're his. That's the other thing about serving a God who's sovereign. Those who he saves, he cannot unsave. And you can't unsave yourself because he has clenched you in his fist and you are his. If you're truly in Christ, you'll persevere to the end. That doesn't mean, right, there's a reason we use that word persevere. It doesn't mean you're just going to cross the finish line and be all, you know, thumbs up. Like you see those people running marathons and they cross and they look all happy. No, no, they never do. The people running the the Boston Marathon, when they cross the finish line, they look like they're about to die. They're like skinny, emaciated, they're sweating, they're dumping water on their head. Some of them are literally collapsing as they cross the finish line. Why? Because they're persevering till the end. For a lot of us in our life, Both Christian and I, we have not persevered. We don't know what perseverance is. We give up over and over and over again. I know this because I have done it. I fall short and I give up and I give up and I give up and I I don't fulfill what God has called me to do and I don't fulfill what I'm supposed to do as a husband and a father and I fall short over and over and over again and I need to learn perseverance, but we have a God who helps us persevere. He's there picking us up, dusting us off, coaching us to the finish line. Giving us that extra douse of water. Giving us some Gatorade and some chewy bars and an IV. And you know what? It, like he's pushing us to the finish line. Because you and know, I can't persevere in our own. Because I'm my own worst enemy. And I need a defender. And this is what's true. This is the last truth. And this is where we'll wrap things up this morning. It says, deliver us from evil. From evil. What does evil look like for us? Because I'd venture to say for most of us, the evil in our lives isn't like, you know, a crazy sister that draws pentagrams on the wall and head spins around backwards and barfs pea soup. You know, like, it's not an exorcist kind of moment for us. For the most part, the evil in our lives, like, it might be the world around us. Preaching into our lives that you need to do this enough. You need to be in these kind of relationships. You need to cross these boundaries. You need to own these things. You need to have these kind of friends in order to be liked, loved, and appreciated by culture. Maybe maybe that's the evil you see. Maybe the evil is Satan tempting you. But let's be honest. If we really read scripture, Satan's not like anti-God. He's not the opposite of God. He's a fallen angel. Is he sovereign like God? No. Is he always there like God? No. Is he omniscient, all-knowing like God? No. Is he omnipresent everywhere at once like God? No. Satan is a fallen angel who has limited capabilities and powers. So, yes, Satan may tempt you occasionally, but I guarantee for most of you, your everyday life is not the world and it's not Satan, but the enemy and the evil in your life is yourself. It's yourself. Right? We see it. That passage that we talked about earlier in James, where I just briefly referenced where he says no one's tempted by God. This is what it says. James chapter 1 verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The evil in us is us. So when we read this passage, we understand that what God's really saying here, what Jesus is really saying is that he's not leading us into temptation. We're leading ourselves, and we need him to deliver us from ourselves. Because the world would tell you, hey, everyone's mostly pretty good. Oh, you're, you're good enough as it is. Love yourself because you're good. You're worthy of Love. Have y'all met me? I ain't good. And I am not worthy of a lot of things. I'm a jerk sometimes. I am grumpy sometimes. I smell. My breath stinks. I'm I'm not necessarily a great person to spend time with. There's a lot of people in this room who have spent long chunks of time with me. And they're like, yeah, I can agree with that. Okay, like, he's a a grumpy old man somehow trapped in a 34-year-old body. Like I'm like a grandpa just squeezed down. Okay? I'm not worthy of a lot of things, and the world would feed that lie to you, because the world wants you to believe in yourself and your self-worth and your self-righteousness. But apart from Christ, you have no righteousness. And Paul says his righteousness is like filthy rags. The Greek translation there is "minstrel cloths." <laughs> right? Like that's rough. That's rough language that is used in the scripture there, that your righteousness is rubbish garbage, nasty, gross. Why? We cannot produce righteousness on our own. But here's the hope of it. Before you're like, man, this was a great sermon today. Justin told us how crappy we are as people. No, before you get down on yourself and you leave, here's the good news. The gospel is played out for us in a book called Hosea. If you ever read the book of Hosea, there's two main characters, Hosea and Gomer. Which, why would anybody name a kid Gomer? Especially a girl. But, it's beside the point. She is a prostitute, and God tells Hosea to go and marry a prostitute, which doesn't seem like wisdom. And then she sells herself back into prostitution, and he goes and buys her back. That's the picture of the gospel. That story is in there for us to understand and see that you and I sell ourselves to sin and the world every single day. And Jesus is buying us back because despite your failures and how much we actually sin and our sin nature, we're born with and birthed in and grown up in, he still loves you and buys you back because you are worth it to him. Because you are his creation and he seeks to join you and bridge that gap in relationship and bring you to himself and adopt you as sons and daughters. That's beautiful. And we don't get worked up enough about that. Right? We want to believe that we're really good people on our own. When apart from Christ, I am not good. But with Christ, I am lovely in the eyes of God. And I'm declared righteous. No matter how many times I sin over and over and over again. And all God demands of us is if we're his children to follow him in obedience and submit ourselves to his headship and his lordship and his kingship over our lives. So if you're following along this morning, I'll leave you with these four truths. Just repeat them back to you. And then we're going to sing. One, you and I need God to lead us. And if you're in Christ, He is leading your paths and He's making your way straight. And there are bumps in the road, but He has a purpose and a plan for you. Two, temptation is always there, trying to ensnare you. And you have to be led through that temptation and delivered by God because he is good and righteous and he's seeking to save you. He's seeking to save you from yourself. Because that's who I need saving from most often. I need saving from myself. I need saving from me when I pipe off at the mouth. I need saving from me when I say something when I shouldn't. I need saving for myself when I get angry when I shouldn't. I need saving when I get arrogant and proud when I am weak. I need saving when I think I'm smarter and better than I actually am. I need saving when I don't treat other people with honor and respect and dignity. I need saving when I don't share the hope of the gospel with people who I know are lost and dying. I need saving for myself. So this morning, as the band comes up, we're going to sing together, and we're going to sing a song. And this song just simply says, I'll follow you anywhere. But here's the thing. I know we can't. And I know that when I sing those words, I don't always mean them. I know that God is demanding that I would follow him, and I don't do it. And so this morning, we've got folks from our prayer team. who are going to be down front, and they would love to talk to you and walk you through what it means to really follow Christ. Because for some of you, you've been playing a game for a long time, and you don't really have a life-saving relationship with Jesus. You call yourself a Christian because your family's Christian, and you've been—you've you, had a drug problem, right? You've been drugged to church your whole life. <laughs> you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. But here's the thing: it doesn't matter if you were four months old, four years old, you know, forty years old. It doesn't matter. Nobody here is going to be like, oh, no, somebody who's gone to this church for 15 years who we thought as a Christian is coming down to receive Christ. Oh, what a, what a wretched person. No, they're going to hug you and love you and celebrate with you because we do not care if you have pretended for 15 years. We care that you have a life-saving relationship with Jesus because that actually matters. And so if you need to pray with somebody because you need to figure out how to follow Jesus better with your life, and you know you're a Christian, but you just not really lived it out, you've not been delivered, you're choosing to deliver yourself and you're failing miserably about it, people would love to pray with you.